Welcome to Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, where we will help you eliminate the noise and focus on the information and inspiration that you need to transform your business, impact supply chain success, and enable you to replace risky inventory with valuable insights. Join your Tech Talk host, Corinne Bursa, the 2020 Supply Chain Pro to Know of the Year. With more than 25 years of supply chain and technology expertise and the scars to prove it, Corinne has the heart of a teacher and has helped nearly 1,000 customers transform their businesses and tell their success stories. Join the conversation, share your insights, and learn how to harness technology innovations to drive tangible business results. Buckle up, it's time for Tech Talk, powered by Supply Chain Now. Well, welcome back, Supply Chain Movers and Shakers. Corinne Bursa here, and I'm your host for Tech Talk, the digital supply chain podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. We are heading quickly into the 2021 holiday season, and guess what? We're still living in a world of supply chain disruptions. Earlier this week, we hit a new record. Between Long Beach and Los Angeles, there were more than 100 cargo ships carrying over a half a million shipping containers just stuck off the southern coast of California. Now, this is a complex, a network, if you will, that normally sees less than 20 ships anchored, waiting to be unloaded. And here we sit at well over 100. That backlog is simply staggering. The Los Angeles port had its busiest September on record, and Long Beach is going to process, get ready for this, more than 9 million containers by the end of 2021. That's a new record for sure. And one, they're probably not in a hurry to break. (laughs) In addition to that, if you look on the East Coast of the United States, you're gonna find another backlog in the Port of Savannah. Not as severe, but somewhere between 20 and 30 ships waiting to be unloaded. That's another 80,000 containers waiting, just waiting, filled with your Christmas goodies. So it's clear that these next several weeks and months are going to continue to be volatile and that it's going to take us well beyond the 2021 holiday season to truly recover. So with us today, we've got an expert. We're going to talk about what's disrupting the 2021 holiday season with Dr. Glenn Ritchie, and he is with Auburn University, the Harvard College of Business in the Department of Supply Chain Management. Dr. Ritchie, thank you for joining us today. And I must say, War Eagle. <laughs> War Eagle. Thank, thank you for having me. It's great to be here today. Yeah. So you've got a really great point of view on a number of, of factors that are contributing to the disruption. But before we get there, I do want to say just a couple of things about Auburn's education program and supply chain, because it's very well regarded on a global basis and has been for a number of years. Now, I went to Auburn. We didn't have a supply chain discipline at that time. Great operations research, great finance, 
but supply chain really is still young when it comes to college education programs. Um, and Auburn's got one of the best ones out there. So in addition to what Auburn is doing in these areas, Dr. Richie, tell us what you're doing. What are you focused on right now as it applies to the supply chain performance? Yeah, I have a couple of hats that I wear here at Auburn that, that all interface with supply chain overall. One thing that, that I do is I'm the co-editor-in-chief of the Journal of Business Logistics, which is, uh, I suppose, the top logistics journal in the world. So we're very pleased to be the home for the journal, and, and uh, the university has committed you know, uh, resources towards uh, supporting it. So it's been, it's been very helpful, and uh, Dr. Beth Davis and I are very pleased with the direction the journal's going. Of course, I'm the department head here, so I kind of lead up the administrative role. And uh, as Harvard Eminent Scholar, I also do a pretty significant amount of research. And recently, those things have looked at kind of a, a transition from kind of an optimization view to a more responsiveness view. Uh, also done some recent work looking at technology adoption of blockchain and uh, aspects that, uh, of technology that would actually allow for more transparency. And probably uh, the most focused question there right now is, you know, what do you show and what do you not show? So those are kind of the things that we're looking at. We've got a faculty here of, of about 17 people uh, leading the, the program that's had great growth from uh, about 180 students seven years ago to 525 wow. today in our undergraduate program. So we need more folks out there trained in supply chain management. So if people have uh, students that they'd like to send us or would like to join our online masters, we'd love to have them. Yeah. Hey, congratulations on that growth. That's really impressive. And even before the pandemic, we had a talent shortage. We were facing a crisis around talent. And I know we'll dive into that just as one of the constraints we're managing right now. But congratulations on the growth of the program and your continued leadership. One thing I have always admired about Auburn is that combination of research and education. And now you've got the, the other aspect of also running a publication, a thought leadership in the marketplace. So um, I imagine you're pretty busy most days. Thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, yeah. It's a little underwater sometimes, but, uh, but no, it's, uh, it, it's, it's great work. And, and uh, it, it's great to be able to help young people find their way into a fantastic field. And one of the things that helps a lot is we do have a center for uh, supply chain innovation here that's run by Dr. Brian Gibson. And that really allows the students and the researchers to interact directly with business, which makes us a bit different than other disciplines. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so Dr. Ritchie, we, we've got this current environment, right? We're heading into the holiday season and we've got record volume. We've got shortages in workers. We've got equipment that's in the wrong place. We've got a general global shortage of containers because equipment is in the wrong place, shortage of truck drivers, and just a general lack of synchronization in moving goods. Is the COVID-19 pandemic completely to blame for these disruptions or is there more? Well, I think that you know it's a number of things and obviously that COVID-19 created kind of a cascading disruption across different countries. And, uh, you know, as we talk about things being systemized or synchronized, as, as you put it, when you have a, a section or a sec section of the economy go down, when you have a node of the supply chain decide that the workers can't come to work for a week, a month, it trickles down across the entire supply chain. Uh, we saw a lot of similar type disruption issues when we started to discuss the issues with 
tariffs. The Trump administration came out and was talking to China and other countries about tariffs. And uh, there was worries and concern, uh, certainly about disruption there. So, so that's really where we started to th- see things shift. But in my uh, mind, it really has a lot to do with this focus on efficiency and trying to be as lean as possible. So, so those uh, uh, moves by industry, by manufacturing, were the things that that made us more vulnerable uh, to what ended up happening uh, with the pandemic. And so, yeah, we we put ourselves a bit at risk. And that's where we are today. Yeah, that's a that's a very real fact of, of our businesses is that we have worked very hard to be lean and to design supply chains for efficiency for as the number one factor, right? Efficiency. In fact, a recent study I, I saw said that 60% of supply chains have been designed for just that, to mm. operate on a cost efficiency basis not agility and not resiliency, which are the two things we're talking about on a daily basis, right? The ability to plan and replan and to mitigate risk as well. Is this a problem then, Dr. Ritchie, of our own making? Yeah, I think it is. You know, there are a lot of people that can be blamed for how we got into this situation. I mean, we I guess we could go all the way back to the 80s and blame Deming and Duran and, and the just-in-time uh, situation. But, uh, but no, I mean, we've seen a lot of, of different entities involved in, in making things tough and certainly trying to go lean as lean as we possibly could. And when we stay systemized and allow products to move in a regular pattern, right, a regular flow, then we don't end up with these bulk situations that are like push, pushing a bowling ball through a garden hose. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, what we see at the ports today is that big bulk amount of containers, of product, of ships that are just mired there until we can work through the system. Yeah, yeah, that is a really good point. You know, so one of the things that we're hearing about in general is slow production or a lack of supply. And and obviously in the United States, you also mentioned those, those trade relations with China, right? So we have a lot of moving parts throughout our global networks. What caused the production facilities to close overseas and were they slow to come back online or you know, was it our demand signal? I mean, what came to play in really getting that production and distribution engine moving once again? Yeah, I mean, it was the answer is yes, it was all of those things. All of the oh, above. But, yes. But we, we, we saw early on Chinese manufacturers and raw material sourcers go down to protect the workers. And so uh, those facilities went down for a significant amount of time, which you know, adds delivery deadline to, to every industry that they're involved in. We saw raw material companies come back online before manufacturers. And in other instances, we saw manufacturers come online before they had the raw materials, which again, causes them to go back offline when they can't produce the product. So, so those are, you know, tough things on, on the, the manufacturing side. But at the same time, we had other signals up, up, up market telling customers run out and get your toilet paper before they run out. And now we seem to be telling people run out and buy your Christmas presents while they're still on boats offshore. And so we've got to get all those things together. Good advice for customers, good advice uh, from experts to manufacturers and other components of the supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we are hearing that. We are we are hearing buy it now, right? And that you're not going to see the, the sales or the discounts that you might normally see during the holiday shopping season. So we're hearing that, you know, on nightly news, I'm getting it on the radio, and it's certainly in every supply chain publication that I'm reading. 
I shared some staggering statistics though about the number of cargo ships that are, are, mm-hmm. are anchored waiting for their time to be unloaded. If we focus on Southern California, and I know our, our listeners are fully aware that that Southern California ports, you know, they're closest to those Asian exporters. So that's the, the quickest route. And that's why we see the backups on the West Coast so frequently. Those are staggering numbers. You know, 100 cargo ships, better than a half a million containers just waiting. You know, why are the cargo ships taking so long to get their port time? And are our ships just getting so large? Is there limited equipment to unload them? You know, give us a little insight into that, Glenn. Yeah, I mean, uh, the gridlock situation is, is the main thing to blame, but there are all other kinds of issues that are involved. And certainly when you look at Southern California, uh, those, those boats are, uh, there are a bunch of them out there. There's a heavy flow of them coming through, but there's also a, a space issue. There's, there's mm-hmm. not enough space for the containers that are coming off. There's not space for containers that are empty that need to be there to unload from warehouses and then onto the ships. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just absolute gridlock. And so we're trying to find some ways to, to loosen that system up and get those things through. I've heard, you know, things as crazy as uh, stacking containers too high on city streets to try to add some flexibility in the situation. I heard yesterday that there are about 2,000 empty containers headed by land to Southern California uh, because the carriers need them. And the port's reaction is we don't have space for them. So ah. it's, an, it's an interesting work of, of, of puzzle to try to get all these different things together and in place. There really may be some other suppliers and other industries that can help along this way. You know, if you think about companies that build pipes and that type of thing have pretty sizable yards uh, where they store these things outside, perhaps some of those businesses could find an opportunity to make a little money and, and add a little flexibility to the system. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see. And obviously, there's been some issues in Southern California with management and labor not being on the same page. It, it'll be, you know, it seems like we're moving in the right direction there, at least for the time period. But it, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. It's a tough question. I, uh, I'm hopeful that uh, that they can find some flexibility, but you know it doesn't help to unload ships as fast as possible if you have no location to put the containers. I also should point out that you know the infrastructure, especially where the port links to the rail system and, and mm-hmm. to the trucking system, is pretty fragile in Southern California. It's it, it, it's pretty rigid, so it's tough to get product out of Southern California. And I do have people say, well, why don't you go through the Panama Canal? Well, there are costs to that, there are delays caused by that. It's probably also important for, for your listeners to realize that you know China uses the United States as a land bridge. So a, a number of those containers that are out there in Southern California are gonna hit trucks, run to the Eastern seaboard, and then get back on boats and go to Europe. Uh, hopefully over time, mm. we'll see that lesson as China builds their one road policy and continues to build infrastructure towards Europe uh, from their western coast, but or western side of the country. So we'll see. But uh, but yeah, it, it, there'll going to be lots of trucks on the road for quite some time. Well, let's talk about that for just a minute because the U.S. has been experiencing a decline in truck drivers for mm-hmm. more than a decade, uh, maybe even longer. But um, certainly, well before the COVID pandemic hit, we've been seeing a, a continuing decline in the number of skilled truckers. Um, 
why has the pandemic really exasperated this? Is it is it a situation where vo volume has simply increased, or is it a situation where skilled drivers are opting out? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Volume has increased, and and we're seeing some truck drivers shift to other industries. We're seeing less truck drivers come into the field. We we spend a, a good bit of time talking to our trucking partners. We we have several very very strong companies here that support the university. And uh, it's a combination of trying to get the labor and trying to get the equipment uh, up and running. I know people are, are thinking about, well, we don't see many cars on these car lots. That's because of the chip issue and the manufacturers cannot get the chips to get the cars produced. But we can't get vehicles either. So uh, we have you know, one partner business here that, that tried to buy 20 new trucks at the beginning of the year, and uh, they still don't have half of those vehicles. Uh, and at the same time, if you can't get the, uh, the chips for the cars, you can't get them to repair the truck. So there's a there's an equipment issue and there's a kind of a finite amount of vehicles that we can use. But, uh, you know, we haven't done a great job over the years of recruiting people into the trucking field and we really need to be doing better work. It, it, it is uh, a satisfying career. It can be a career where you make six figures. And so we are seeing groups like the Alabama Trucking Association go out to trade schools and encourage some of these people that are in trade schools to consider making that shift to, to transportation. It is a good job. It's a tough job, right? And uh, it can require you to be away from your family. So it does take a, a certain type of individual that's willing to, to do those kinds of things. But wow, we really do need more folks uh, in the area. And, and seeing some of the innovative approaches now to, to get people interested in truck driving is, uh, is really kind of wild. Santa Rosa, Florida is using their, uh, going in in their prison rehabilitation program, getting truck drivers out of the prison. So, you know, there's probably an opportunity for some of those people to come back and, and benefit society with their help. So uh, who knows what other types of innovation we may be able to find. Then again, smaller trucking lines are, are at times, you know, have uh, their drivers picked away by larger mm -hmm. trucking lines. Uh, the, the, the free market kind of causes that to happen. And, and that's a tough situation, not to mention that now we also see manufacturers that are raising salaries. And so if you can make more money with the manufacturer and stay in town, why would you be an over-the-road truck driver driving from Atlanta to Los Angeles? Yeah, so I, you, you hit on a number of things there um, from, you know, from, from labor to some of the, the parts and repair and equipment constraints. Let's talk about some of those supply shortages for just a minute. You know, we in the past several months, we have seen shortages on, on just about everything, but certainly you mentioned toilet paper a minute ago, but um, we think about, you know, chicken, ketchup packages, who thought we would ever have a shortage of ketchup packages, right? And of course, you know, building products, plastics that are used in, in many, many different types of products, including automotive. And then of course, the semiconductor, which we've heard a lot about because of its limiting impact on the automotive sector in general. Um, and of course, those, those semiconductor chips are in anything from toys to computers, mobile phones, even ventilators, which we wanna make sure are readily available. And, and of course, automobiles. What's happening in this area? Again, was this a response to a diminished demand signal and it's taking time to, um, to build back up? Or were there other factors that, um, that contributed to this? Yeah, that's that's an interesting point that that you bring up. Um, you know, we we kind of saw a, a situation where experts like me came out and said, "Oh, this is going to kill the economy. The economy is going to stop. It's going to at least slow down." 
And it did slow down a bit, right? But the pickback up was, was quite rapid. And um, I guess when we say stay at home, you know, the virus is out there, you know, we think, well, people won't be going to retailers. But in re- reality, we've been making this transition to, to e-commerce mm-hmm. and people really jumped on e-commerce. And, and so kind of the, the path adjusted. The, the interesting thing with the chip, chip manufacturing situation is it's a lot easier to sell a million chips to, to Apple or a cell phone company than to go and negotiate with one of our automotive manufacturers in the United States. And uh, those companies realize that it's easier to make that happen. And so that's where they go first to make the initial sale. There are opportunities to do some allocation, I guess, and, and make sure you know, your different partners get the product or get the components that are needed, but it's been tough because of the, the choppy demand. So, so we signaled that there wasn't going to be demand, and there was, and, uh, and now they seem to be taking the, the products to the power players. And there's a lot of power play going on in the supply chain today with, with major companies going out and renting out entire ships, right, and kind of um, drawing in their specific inventory first. And we haven't talked about that a lot in the in the mm-hmm. research, but I can tell you in the 1980s it was a, it was a big focus of uh, negotiations, power plays uh, along companies, and I expect we'll see that come back to the research with some of the things we see going on in the country right now. Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of good points there. Um, you mentioned a minute ago, you know, some panic buying, right? So that that people are stocking their pantries or or um, forward buying from a business perspective. Uh, certain materials and and certainly consumable goods as well. When I think about this, it's a classic case or could be a classic case in the future of us creating almost a global bullwhip effect. Do you think that's going to happen or do you think we're smart enough to kind of dampen those spikes in demand? Yeah, I I definitely think it's going to happen. It it, it certainly looks that way. uh, uh, to give you a, a little example, uh, I went down to our, our local Walmart here just to have a look around and, and, and see how things were, were going in terms of their supply. And as you'd expect, there's some spots on the shelf that are mm-hmm. empty here and there. A lot of that has to do with not being able to get packaging and those types of things that you mentioned uh, related to plastics and, and, and such. But the thing that they had plenty of was bicycles. And the bicycles <laughs> not only spilled over uh, from the uh, toy area into the garden area. But uh, as I was out there poking around, looking at all of these things, a couple of the employees said, please buy one. We have two containers of them behind the store. So, you know, Walmart has said, this is where we need to be. Let's buy it all now instead of extending it out across time. And and I expect we're going to see a lot of players do that type of thing. I'll I'll be honest. I'm on a couple of different radio shows pretty frequently and uh, one of them's in New Orleans, WWL, and I, I, I do what I can to not talk about certain products that may be running low, because it does trigger people to go out and, and, and buy. And, and uh, in that community, we saw all kinds of different things go out of stock. You would understand how people react to toilet paper or bottled water, especially mm-hmm. in hurricane crisis situations and those types of things. But you don't expect them to run out of pork sausage, right? Yeah. And uh, that's a staple in New Orleans, boudin and pork sausage and these things. You need to have those things in stock. But all of those disruptions that we talked about earlier today certainly had an impact on the production of that product. Well, and, and so let's talk for just a minute with the, with the conversation around your observations at Walmart. You know, when, when we think about the retailers, the traditional retailers, as well as, as e-commerce, 
there's a lot of concern around the holiday season in just them hitting the revenue numbers. You know, some retailers really count on that holiday season to get in the black uh, for, for their annual performance as well. But I understand that retailers like Walmart, Costco, Ikea, Home Depot, many, many others, they're chartering their own ships, right, right to bring in goods. Is this going to help? Aren't they just going to face the same gridlock that we're seeing in the ports? Or is there some mysterious port dedicated to these retailers <laughs> that, uh, that we need to know about? Yeah, they're still gonna they're still gonna battle the same delays, the the queuing situation. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to expedite around some of that, but but I doubt it. Uh, I, then again, if they can actually get the product on the ship and secure that space, they may speed up the time uh, of international transit. I was looking like kind of across the board industries and thinking about international transit, and it was those numbers before the pandemic were running 11, 12 days, something like that. And now I see a number of industries saying we're at 60 days and that type of thing. And uh, when you start talking about computer monitors or furniture, now we're talking about six months, right? And, and so, uh, yeah, but companies like IKEA obviously see that as a major issue for them. And uh, anything they can do to secure space is what they're going to try to do. Yeah, absolutely. I am. I'm hearing that as well, very consistently, that, that transport times are anywhere from six to eight times historic. Uh, transport, which is just crazy, especially for highly seasonal items and seasonal buying like you would do for the holiday season. So we may see some great discounts come January on goods. It could be a really big uh, uh, Valentine's Day. It could right? be a really big Valentine's Day. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So Dr. Ritchie, as you know, my focus here on Tech Talk is, is largely around the digital supply chain, right? Mm. Using technology to help improve the physical supply chain operations. Is it possible to automate? Are there automation opportunities that you're seeing that are gonna help mitigate some of these bottlenecks? Well, I mean, I, I, I guess yes and no would be the answer. Um, certainly there are things that we can do specifically at the ports that we could replicate from other ports around the world that could help systemize what we're doing. Uh, could reduce some of the human error, could speed up uh, processes a bit. Uh, you know, any of your your viewers, your listeners, uh, um, will take a trip to Rotterdam and look at the magnificent automation that exists at that port. Those are things that we could potentially do with the right funding going to the right places. So, so hopefully we'll see some of those things uh, happen. I do think that uh, as we think about this bullwhip effect issue that, that we're dealing with, that we were just speaking of a moment ago, probably there are ways to go into some of the, uh, the, the machine learning in terms of our forecasting and, and smooth some of those things out. Um, we'll, we'll have to take it a little bit out of the hands of the people that have dealt with all this risk over the last mm -hmm. several months and, and allow them to think, okay, maybe we can go a little lighter on some of, some of these issues. But there are also, I guess, some places where we could use material, materials handling equipment and that type of thing that'd be automated within facilities because we haven't really talked about warehousing, distribution centers, but mm -hmm. uh, typically this time of year, companies like Abercrombie & Fitch are out there hiring an entire additional workforce to handle peak demand. And, and that's where we're headed. So, you know, if there's an opportunity to use some robotics to fill some of those spots, robotics attached to, to tech systems, data systems, then that would be, that would be a good assistance as well. Yeah, they're big moves. It's going to have to make big changes. And, and certainly you can't drop a, a full warehouse in right now and expect it to be up and running for the holiday season. 
Uh, I do think when we talk about uh, retailing and warehousing in the holiday season, there's there's a little thing that we've done to ourselves that we probably should recognize. You know, people think about retailers. They don't typically think that retailers are warehousing, and they really are. Maybe they're mm-hmm. fancy warehousing, and uh, I'm, I'm sure the folks at Ann Taylor are saying, we're not a warehouse, right? We're, we're a lot nicer than that. Uh, but in reality, those retailers uh, existed in marketplaces to be a place that had safety stock for your home, right? So you could go to the retailer and pick up what you needed, and hopefully they'd have it in inventory. And over the years, we've seen the number of retailers reduce and a lot of their business move to e-commerce. So we've really moved our safety stock as customers out of our cities and, and onto the web. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's added us added a situation where maybe we don't have as much flexibility uh, as we think we do. Uh, the other side of those things is we move the storage into your home, right? And so instead of buying a four-pack of toilet paper, you buy a 48 and it becomes an end table or a piece of furniture in the house. <laughs> it takes up so much space. And so those are those are real world supply chain issues that maybe we don't see in front of us as consumers, but uh, our choices have, have kind of caused those things to shift into different locations. Yeah, th- those are great examples. And, you know, personally, I blame Costco um, and Sam's Club for kind of, you know, greasing the skids, if you will, because when you buy products there, you're always buying it in a, in a much larger pantry size than you would at your, at your local grocers. But, but I totally agree. I mean, even in the grocery industry where you can buy online and get curbside pickup, you know, it's, it's transitioning many of our grocery stores into more and more of that kind of warehouse feel to them as well. Um, when we think about COVID and and some of the impact, is there a silver lining? So one McKinsey report that I read, this is six months into COVID. It indicated, Dr. Ritchie, that we had transformed, digital transformation had accelerated at that point in that six month window to really what would have taken a good four years to achieve. So as we're now kind of month 20 in this process and dealing with, you know, a multitude or cascading disruptions, as you've put it, is there a silver lining for supply chain? Yeah, I mean, I I think there is. I think one of the places we could start is that I think two years ago, most people didn't really know what the supply chain was, and they weren't mentioning it around the dinner table. And every politician and, and news agency out there wasn't talking about it every single day. Uh, so people know what the supply chain is now. They're getting a feel for what it is. And, and, and so hopefully they can understand the, a little bit of the complexity in the delivery mechanism to get something from overseas to their front door. It has been, been truly amazing. Um, people that uh, are now shopping online uh, that we didn't expect would be shopping online. You know, I, I, uh, the things that they're buying are amazing. Like you said, grocery. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were trying to get people to to shop online for groceries and company like web companies like Webvan were going. Uh, I was a big fan way back yeah. when. I was an early adopter. Yeah. So so uh, so yeah. The time has come, and, and and it really has had had a pretty serious impact on the way uh, we interface with the customer. And of course, in those interactions, we collect a lot of data, and hopefully that data allows us to do a better job of making decisions, of forecasting, getting the right products to the right people at the right time. Yeah, those those have been big shifts and big transitions. I think that uh, the, the fact that we need to upgrade our infrastructure uh, in this country to help support supply chain processes is, is mm-hmm. front and center. And it's nice to hear politicians talking about it, but finally in a pretty serious way. And so hopefully over time, we'll see that kind of disruption adjusted. You know, there's uh, 
a philosophy out there that that uh, is in economics that's called creative destruction. Most people that uh, spend time reading on economics and business have heard that. And you can even see that in The Economist in a special section. And uh, creative destruction, you know, rec- recommends that when we see these disaster situations like war, we kind of destroy the processes and the mechanisms of what we use to go to business, to go to market, and we rebuild them. Uh, and so the old Southern uh, saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, really is, if it don't broke, you should break it so that you can make it better. And so uh, I do think we see some of that going on, you know, new innovations, changes, what we were able to do to get those vaccines out across uh, mm-hmm. across the country and the world was absolutely fascinating and, and really quite amazing. And I was a big doubter on, on what we were going to be able to do. And, and just, just the way people pulled together was great. Uh, so, yeah, I do think we'll see a lot of changes, a lot of adjustments. Uh, I hope we see new sourcing strategies, which mm-hmm. reduce some of the risk there that that allow for a global partner, you know, a, a distance partner, but also may allow for another partner that's nearshore or even domestic. And maybe some collection of, of three different types of sources would make sense. Of course, every time you add another, more complexity. <laughs> more complexity, absolutely. But closer and closer to market makes, you know, makes a different a difference as well. And I do believe as the focus, so supply chain, I agree, has taken center stage. I mean, it's it's fantastic. You know, at our dinner table, we've talked supply chain for years. But I'm not sure my family and friends really understood it until they couldn't get toilet paper or some other basic needs that um, suddenly you could just see their aha moment around that. So I think there have been a lot of teachable moments. And I think that, as you said earlier, you know, some of some of our challenges are of our own making because we have strived for so many years to become leaner and leaner and increasingly efficient in how we produce, source, move goods. Resilience isn't necessarily a low cost business strategy, right? So we we may need to multi-source or to, you know, to replenish in season differently than we bring goods in at the beginning of a season. So I, I do think that there's lots and lots of interesting opportunities still to be solved and addressed in the in the years and decades to come. Tell me a little bit, Dr. Ritchie, about, you know, some of this content is just so good and so tangible. How are your students responding? You know, are there teachable moments? Is it, has it made it a little more exciting for them or more tangible for them in the process? Yeah, I, I, it, it, it's a great time to be teaching supply chain because mm-hmm. it all it, it's all right in front of us. Um, one of the more interesting things is that uh, I used a couple of different simulations in class where the students basically run a supply chain, run entities in the supply chain that compete against each other. And, and over the years, you know, a lot of focus was on let's get the cost down. Let's try to hit, uh, you know, maybe a few stockouts in the sim. You know, let's let's get the inventory very lean and try to get it very accurate. And I will say, over the last three semesters, as we dealt with the pandemic, uh, the students' philosophy in those instances have changed, and, and they're looking for more safety stock, more backup. And so those things are kind of naturally happening, uh, which is really interesting coming out of a, of a systems approach where we were really focused on optimization, really focused on just-in-time inventory and, and, and that type of thing. And at the same time, companies like Toyota, who really got the just-in-time approach going, 
are taking steps away from the just-in-time approach to go back to kind of a more risk management approach mm-hmm. to, to inventory and processes. So seeing that happen at the student level and kind of happen organically has been has been really fascinating. You know, the internship approach has changed as well for students. We thought that we were going to have just a dead period for internships when we first got, got into the first summer of the pandemic. And we actually didn't. Uh, the numbers upheld. A lot of the internships mm. were from home, right? But the students were doing a lot of data analysis and working with Excel. And so those things are things that now these students have probably stronger skills than they did uh, just because the pandemic changed the nature of their education. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point. You know, with, with my perspective coming from the software industry around supply chain, we certainly have been seeing more and more data scientists um, as a part of that operations research team and that combination of how do we visualize, right, the plans that have been evaluated and how do we present multiple scenarios. So I do think that there's this wonderful kind of intermeshing of supply chain discipline with um, data science, with business analytics, and with finance, right? All coming together. And oh, by the way, don't forget about marketing, right? So marketing uh, is the one, you know, the discipline that's stimulating demand or differentiating products in a market, but it's really bringing all these facets together that I think is just, it's a, it's a, a wonderful time to be in business. And from my perspective, the business is supply chain, right? Unless you're a services entity. If you've got product that you're making, moving, delivering, um, and bringing to market, whether it's a, yeah, a component or a finished goods, there's a supply chain around that. So I, I think that um, it, we've got some interesting challenges and opportunities in front of us. Yes, we do. We really do. It's a, it's a great time to be involved in the supply chain. It's also a tough time to be involved in the supply chain. But uh, but I guess those things also mean job job security for most of us, right? They do, definitely. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely good job security. Speaking of jobs and placement, how's the placement rate for Auburn graduates coming out with supply chain degrees? Yeah, the placement rate has been very strong. You know, we, we've we've seen it continue to grow in terms of salary and those types of things. I think uh, talk to uh, Alex Reitenbaugh, who's down in, in our uh, office that handles placement and, and relationships with businesses. And I, I think we're seeing kind of a, a conversion rate from internships that runs somewhere near 80 percent. Wow. Uh, and so our students, you know, go out on, a, on a, the summer of their junior year, typically uh, get an internship and, and a good number of them, I would say a majority of them actually come back from that, that internship with a job offer. So placement is strong. Uh, lots of our students get multiple offers. And so, yeah, we, we need more folks uh, in the field. And part of that is the reason that uh, we rolled out this Masters of Supply Chain Management uh, over the last year. And so we've got to the kind of our inaugural classes here. And, uh, you know, we've, we work with the industry to design a 10-course sequence that uh, hopefully gets uh, the employee, future employee, uh, as ready to go as they possibly can. And so far, we've got a nice group of students in there, and uh, they're already getting uh, questions and opportunities from companies like Maersk, from companies like Georgia Pacific. So pretty exciting stuff to see happen. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, is that a one-year a one-year program, or is it? Yeah, it's it, it's ten classes, so you can take them uh, in the sequence that you like. Most students will take take three at a time. You can break them off and take uh, take 
free and get a certificate if you don't want to go for the full master's mm -hmm. program. And we also have it for, so that it interacts where you can get a, a double degree with our MBA as well. And all of those are set up where you can do them here on campus, which is always the best place to be, right? Or It is always the best place to be. Or online, right? And so uh, those degrees, all of them are, are also available online. We have kind of a matrix structure that works quite well. Okay, great. Well, Dr. Glenn Ritchie with Auburn University's Harvard College of Business. We really appreciate you spending some time with us today. I think you've actually given me some ideas of some other topics we may want to invite you back to discuss in the future as well. If I could ask you, Glenn, what one thing do you want our listeners to take away from today's conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that the important thing for, for people to recognize is that we, we have a system that can get shooken up, right, and, and can cause disruptions, and, and we need to find ways to build contingency planning into that system. And until we have that done, uh, we're probably still going to see these types of things pop up in different areas. But, you know, I have a, a mentor that used to say, it ain't no hill for a climber. And so we'll get there. Supply chain, supply chain executives, supply chain workers, people, professionals uh, always step up to the task. And it may take us a little bit to get everything ironed out, but we'll get it there. Yep, I agree with you. I think the, the one thing that I have enjoyed so much in my career in supply chain is that at heart, supply chain um, personnel are, are problem solvers. I mean, they are there to, you know, to, to solve problems, whether it's an efficiency problem or a service problem. Um, or even a production uh, problem in the mix. So I, I love that where they can really look at a problem from several different angles and come up with some possible outcomes. Uh, Dr. Glenn Ritchie with Auburn University, thanks for sharing your insights today on what's disrupting our 2021 holiday season. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'm easy to find. Just uh, you could search Glenn Ritchie on, uh, on Google, and I'll pop right up. But uh, uh, my email address is Ritchie at Auburn.edu. And so really easy to shoot me an email. Would, would be happy to interface with, uh, with your folks and, and continue the discussion. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope that these insights are going to help our listeners navigate their 2021 holiday season. Um, and at a minimum, you're going to have some great content to discuss at your next holiday party. So um, I don't want to see you guys out there on jet skis going from container ship to container ship thinking you're going to do your holiday shopping. Just, just hold tight. The goods are coming and, uh, and we'll get through this next series of supply chain disruptions. To uh, find out more about supply chain in a number of different areas of digital content, please check out supplychainnow.com. While you're there, look into Tech Talk. That's T-E-K-T-O-K -E and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. On Tech Talk, our goal is to help you eliminate the noise and focus in on the information and inspiration you need to replace risky inventory with valuable information. We're going to see you next time here on Tech Talk.